Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Uh, can you just make some noise? Uh, anyone here last week or heard the message last week? So if, uh, if you weren't here, if you missed it, that's okay. You can catch up and I'll give us a recap. But I did something last week I've never done before. Uh, I literally just ended the message. I didn't finish it. It just, I was like, that's it. It's done. Go home. I'm going to finish it next week. Now I'll pull the curtain back just in case um, you're like, did he run out of time? Like what was going on? I had planned it the whole time. It was planned. So uh, just so you guys know that it was planned because uh, there's just, there was just too much good stuff. I couldn't fit it all in one message. So all that to say, I'm finishing the message. Uh, if you never heard the message, everything's online, Facebook, YouTube, uh, our podcast. And I just really encourage you to go back and listen to it this week, last week, because uh, I think that these messages could be the two most impactful messages um, of the year. So just encourage you for that. We're finishing it today. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, kind of where we left off, opening passage today. Uh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, So again, we're we're in a building season uh, as a church, just building different aspects of our our walk, our journey. So last week was this idea about building your truth. Uh, So we're going to call last week part one, uh, and this week we're going to call build your truth part two. So we can be seated, and can we just clap our hands for the worship team? Thank you guys so much. So amazing. Uh, So hey, so glad everyone could be here. So pumped. uh, Everyone watching online. Uh, My name's Harrison and just honored you could be here. So for those of you guys that maybe missed the message, those of you guys that were here, but you kind of forget it. It's been a week, Pastor. Like you can't expect me to remember everything. Uh, I kind of want to give a quick recap of where we left off. So what we found out last week from John chapter 8 Uh, was kind of this fundamental idea. It was pretty simple. Jesus told us that he is truth. Jesus equals truth, uh, and basically Satan equals lies, right? Jesus is truth. Satan is lies. And what we found out, uh, we went back to the very first book. We're still in the first book, Genesis, first book of the Bible, and we said that the devil has three key tactics, three things that he uses to mess us up. He's a liar. We found that out. And so through lies, deception, he has three specific tactics that he uses to mess us up. Ringing some bells for some people. And again, this came from the first book in the Bible, Genesis. And so some of us are saying, well, wait a second, Uh, that book's really old. And even more than that, like uh, if we can see his tactics in Genesis, why wouldn't the devil like find new tactics? Why wouldn't he find a new strategy? And we said pretty simply um, that the devil's strategy is very effective. And so what we said is that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? He's like, hey, I'm tripping people up. If it ain't broke, I'm not going to fix it. And a lot of us are saying, wait, you're saying the devil is real. He actually messes people up. Um, Isn't that kind of weird to believe in still, Harrison, a devil, like, aren't we past that? And again, we addressed that last week, uh, so go watch it if you haven't seen it. Uh, but really simply, we said that Jesus believed, saw, and taught about the devil. And so if Jesus believes in it, 
I'm a believer in it. You can do whatever you want. So, three tactics. First tactic we looked at, uh, if you guys remember, number one was isolation. The devil will do anything in his power to get you isolated. Right? Because he knows that when you are alone, when you are by yourself, you are more vulnerable. You're easier to deceive. You're easier to attack when you are by yourself. We talked about what isolation has looked like for so many of us over the last year and how it's affected us, our mental health, so on and so forth. It's one of the main tactics the enemy uses. He wants to disconnect you. He wants you to be isolated. He wants you to go through things alone. So what we said, what was the solution to isolation? We said the solution was community. If the devil wants to isolate me, I need community. I need people that know my name. I need people that know my story. So that was number one. Every single person last week that took notes, you're like, Harrison, this, I, don't, I don't need this. I take notes. The rest of you guys start taking notes. So number two, first one, isolation. Number two was confusion. What happened in the story, uh, God said uh, to Adam and Eve, hey, you, can't, you can eat from every single tree except one. Satan comes in. He's like, oh, how come you can't eat from any tree? Um, that's not actually what God said. So basically what we said uh, is that the devil works through confusion, right? He's trying to confuse us. The main way that he does that is through half-truths. We're going to talk a lot this morning about half-truths because it's one of the main ways the devil uses to deceive us, to mess us up, and to really throw us off is to confuse us, and he uses uh, half-truths. So the solution, we said, was that if the devil works through confusion, we need clarity. And the best way, we said, to get clarity is through Scripture. We said the very clearest that God has spoken is through the Bible. So in a world that is confused, in a world that does not have truth, we need to look to Scriptures to find truth. Because the devil's going to use all types of mediums to confuse us. I talked about television, social media. I gave us a challenge last week. Don't know if any of you guys did it, but I said, hey, listen, uh, if you're watching TV this week, why don't you just try and see if you can identify lies in the shows that you watch? I uh, was talking to someone this week. He even said, he's like, he's like man, like, um, challenge, I remembered it, and I was watching uh, Grey's Anatomy this week. I don't know what, I don't know what one of the 45 seasons, um, but he's like, it was really hard to watch because the whole time all I could think of was lies. It was a lie, 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 lie. Because the devil uses those things to confuse us, so we need clarity. Does that all make sense? You guys remember that? Again, man, that was like three, four, five-minute recap. Go watch the message. It's so much better than that. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, so where we left off was this idea of number three, disordered desires. The third tactic, this is where we left off, is that the devil wants to disorder our Desires. So, in short, what does that mean? What does it mean to have disordered desires? Uh, basically, what that kind of looks like, would you guys agree? Have you guys ever experienced this? Uh, where it's like, I know that I need something, but I don't know exactly what I need. <laughs> or even like, I know something's wrong. There's something wrong with me, but I don't know exactly what's going on. Like, I feel a desire. It's like, you guys ever had a headache before? We've all had headaches. You guys ever had a headache? You're like, man, where does this, came, where does this come from? And you kind of run through like, the list. Like, well, maybe like I'm tired. Maybe I'm hungry. Maybe I'm thirsty. Uh, and like, maybe I just need a Tylenol. Now, what happened is that, uh, but back in the day, I think that you would just maybe hungry. <laughs> hungry. 
Come on, but daddy, daddy can't feed. That's Will and Will Jr., everybody. I love you guys. Um, I got a baby coming. Can't wait for that. Um, they do stop crying, Carly, soon. Um, but then you have more, and it just never ends. So um, babies are amazing, guys. Stop it. Uh, so we're back, everyone's We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. Uh, so and I'm not trying to embarrass you, so don't feel embarrassed. We love you. We're all good. Uh, anyways. Headaches. We're back to headaches. You guys that had the headache, you don't know what's wrong. Actually, a better illustration than headaches is babies, right? <laughs> like, as a parent, when babies are crying, you're like, what the heck is wrong? Like, I know there's something wrong, but I don't know if he's hungry or if he needs to poop. Like, I, just, like, I got no clue. And what happens, worst things for parents is this, WebMD. Because, like, back in the day, you fed them, spanked them, whatever, but now it's like, <laughs> today, it's like, well, you know what, like, I'll, I'll probably just Google it. Like, I'm going to Google what's wrong. Like, why does my baby never stop crying? What happens is that it's always, like, worst-case scenario, right? Same thing for headaches, right? Why does my head hurt? And it's never like you need to drink more. It's like you probably have cancer. Um, that's what's wrong. You, you have renal failure. That's why you have a headache. And it's just, like, always worst-case scenario. And so um, where I'm going with this, because we're talking about disordered desires, is that a lot of times we have things that are wrong with us, we have a desire, maybe we have a need or a want, but we don't exactly know what's wrong. And so the third way the devil attacks is he'll, he'll attack us and he'll try to confuse us at the point of desire. And so what that means is all of us have legitimate needs, and what the devil wants to do is confuse those needs, confuse those desires, and more so try and get us to meet them in the wrong way. Essentially, a good thing that, um, a way to kind of remember it is that the devil wants to get us to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. What is disordering my desires? It's trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. This is one of the main ways the enemy attacks us. So that's kind of disordered desires from a bird's eye view. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go into the text in Genesis chapter 3 and figure out where this comes from. So, um, context again, the devil said, hey, why did God say you can't eat anything in this place? Eve responds to the serpent, Genesis 3, verse 2. Um, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. We read this last week. Um, it's interesting. One commentator I read just wanted to share with you guys. He said, the moment that Eve really fell um, was not necessarily when she ate the fruit. The moment that she fell was when she began to dialogue with the devil. Because the devil, what we learn, he's crafty, he's a liar. And the moment you enter into a dialogue with him and you give him time, you entertain him, he's a really kind of crafty is what we learn. And so the moment she talked to him, she already lost. And so what he said, he said, don't dialogue with the devil. You're not going to win. Really what that looks like in the practical sense is this idea of how close to the line can I get? You guys know that? It's like, how close can I get before I fall off the cliff? How close before I sin? He said the moment that Eve started talking to the devil, already lost. So he says, uh, that's what God said. Um, Satan says, verse 4, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So, John chapter 8. Last week, we learned that the devil's a liar. Right? Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He's been a liar since the beginning. That's what we learned. And so, we know that he's lying here. Just from the words of Jesus. But what you need to understand, and I kind of want to give us a peek into the devil's handbook. And I'm not showing you guys this so you can become maniacal or evil. But I'm going to show you how the devil works so you can learn to combat against him. When God says that he's a liar, um, and he is, and everything that he says is lies, he does not ever fully lie. It's always half-truths, or three-quarter truths even, or three-quarter lies. But you need to understand this. The most effective lies are the ones that have little bits of truth. If the devil said to Eve right there, hey, if you eat the fruit, you're going to grow wings and blow fire out of your mouth, she might have been like, see you later, snakey. Because it's so outrageous. But the devil, what he does, and we're going to see it in a second, he works through half-truths. So you can write this down. The most effective lies are the ones that are full of half-truths, but even more so, tug at the desires of our heart. The most effective lies are the ones that are full of half-truths that tug at the deep desires of our heart. So we know that Satan's lying in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, but we also know there's some truths in there. And more than that, there's also things that are going to um, reach into the desires of our hearts. So, again, um, here's the half-truth and the truth and the lie. The devil says, if you eat this fruit, you will not die. God says, if you eat it, you'll die. Well, here's the half-truth part. When they ate it, they didn't immediately die. So I wonder, like, when she took the bite, chewed it, she was like, hey, I didn't die. The devil was lying. But God doesn't say you'll die right away. He just says you're going to die. And what happens in this moment, this is when sin and death enter. They were never meant to die. It takes some time, but they do indeed die. The devil says you won't die. It's, it's a half-truth. You guys see what I'm saying? But here's the thing, and the biggest lies are these. They're the deceitful ideas that play into our deep desires. So what's the desire that he taps into here? It's pretty simple. The devil says to Eve, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. So what desire is he, is he tapping into? Well, it's this idea of being like God. Now, what does that mean? What does that kind of look like? I kind of want to show you what that means. So the desire is to be like God. So kind of like you could say power, Right? To be like God is power. You could say knowledge. You could even say immorality. And so what the devil knows, these are all things that we as people have a desire for. A desire for power, a desire for knowledge, immorality. I'm going to show you in a second. These things are not even inherently bad. But he says, hey, you want to be like God. But here's the lie. The lie is this. God is holding something back. God's holding something back. You will be like God. Those are the two lies. God is holding something back and you will be like God. And the way that he does that is by playing to the desires of our heart. He knows it's something that innately we want and or need, but he twists it. Now, this is the main trick of the devil when it comes to our desires. The devil always wants to get us to think that God is holding something back that there is something that God is keeping from you. 
But here's the truth I want us to understand. All of our desires will be met in Jesus. Let me show you something. Everything the devil says that God was holding back. Look at this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Going back a few chapters. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds, the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. Satan says, if you eat this fruit, God's holding it back because he doesn't want you to be like him. What's funny is that they were already like him. They were created in his image. They already had power. He says, rule over. The whole earth is yours. They already had immorality. They were never going to die. And so I want us to understand this. Every single desire that Satan says God is holding back, so therefore do something different, God has already or will inevitably give to you. And the devil wants to make us feel like he's holding something back. Now, I want to make something really clear. Um, we are like God. We are not God. We are made in his image. But the desire to be God comes from the devil. And the desire and the journey to be God will actually destroy you. Because you were never meant to be God, but you were meant to be like God because you were made in his image. Now, again, this is how twisted desires work. And every single time that Satan can play on our desires, deceive us, it inevitably ends in pain. So we see what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves says the eyes of them were open and they realized they were naked. I want you to understand something. The end goal of the enemy, once he twists our desires, isolates us, confuses us, at the very end of the day, he wants to leave us naked, broken, and ashamed. In the Gospel of John, again, the words of Jesus, he puts it even clearer. He says the devil comes to seek, to kill, and to destroy. That's his end plan. And how he does it, and I believe out of all of the three, the most effective thing that he does is play to our desires that in many cases are God-given, but he, he twists them and he disorders them. Now, this is the thing I want us to understand, especially when it comes to desires. I believe that when, we, when you pull back every single desire that we have as humans, every single desire has a good root. The only desires that you have are, that you actually need are the ones that God has given you. And so this is what makes it so tricky. Because the good things and the good things that we desire, Satan wants to just push us off course. He wants to just shift it by a degree. Right? Amy was telling me about an illustration of, of a boat. If a boat is just off by one degree, it doesn't seem like much at first. But over time, they'll end up completely lost. And so the devil just wants to shift your desires. He doesn't need to go full 180. 360's back to start. <laughs> he just wants to shift you a degree. Because yeah. if, I, if I just shift a degree, if I can just get them off a degree, that which is good will no longer cease to be good. 
I'll give you a really simple example. Not, not even the devil, just life. Um, an innate desire for all of us is to eat. You guys know that? Good. Welcome to Bio 101. Um, if you want to live, you need to eat, right? Food actually keeps you alive. And that desire to be hungry is actually a good thing. It lets you know that you need to eat. Now, again, that desire, that God-given desire is good innately. But if it gets twisted, even just a few degrees, the thing that was once good can actually kill you. If it literally food, which we need to live, can actually kill you. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going to show us how the devil does this. And I guess you could say he uses food, but I'm going to show some more kind of psychological things that he does. Where he plays on our desires, and then he just twists it. Just that one degree. And the end, where it kind of just feels like truth, his goal is to leave us naked, broken, and ashamed. By playing to our desires. So, here's the first one I think is really, really um, relevant in our modern day. Um, I believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, we talked about this last week, um, that everything that he has for us is in our best interest. And even more than that, everything that he offers us is exactly what we need. So, one of the things that Jesus did when he came to earth, he talks about it a lot, is this idea of ushering in the kingdom of heaven. Now, maybe you've only heard about getting to heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven, Um, but the gospel doesn't just begin in heaven. It actually begins here, and he begins his kingdom here. And so um, this idea of the kingdom is built on the idea of Jesus as king. And so Jesus as king, his kingdom was ushered not with a war, but with him dying on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he took all of our sin, all of our shame, that was the moment the kingdom of heaven began to appear and began to begin. Even when he was on earth, it began. And so the kingdom of heaven, what it's marked by, which is different than other kingdoms that are built on power and influence and and force, the kingdom of heaven is built on service. It's built on love. It's built on devotion. It's built on justice. It's built on equality. It's built on love. It's built on sacrifice. It's built on compassion. Why? Because it's built around the example of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is a reflection of the king, who's Jesus. Does that make sense? And so everything the kingdom of heaven embodies, all of those good things I've said, love, justice, compassion, mercy, all of these things that the kingdom of heaven embodies are things that we as people innately need and we want and we are attracted to them. Why? Because they are good. They are good desires. Even the, and that's the ethics part. And most people like kind of like the social ethics of the kingdom. Now, the morality stuff, some people are like, whoa, you don't tell me what to do, Jesus. But in the same breath, the morality of Jesus follows the exact same pattern. It's what we actually need. And the kingdom of heaven is not just social ethics, it's morality. as, As kingdom builders, as kingdom culture carriers, we live out the vision of Jesus in ethics, in morality. And all of these things, I want us to understand, are what is best for us. Now, the devil knows this, that crafty son of a gun. (laughs) And so what he's trying to do, again, is just shift it, just a couple degrees off course. And one of the ways that he does this today, I believe is so simply, um, I heard, I think it was Mark Sayers, he's a pastor, he put it like this. um, He said that what Satan wants to do and what our culture embodies 
is the principles of the kingdom without the king. It's the kingdom without the king. Now, one of the markers of the kingdom of heaven is justice. It's equality. It's mercy. Galatians chapter 3 puts it pretty simply. It says, in God's kingdom, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, because his sacrifice, because God loved me so much to die for me. He didn't just die for me, he died for everyone. And so therefore, every person has intrinsic value. Every single person is worthy. So if I'm for Jesus, that means I'm for people. I'm for all people. I love all people. I show grace to all people. Why? Because Jesus first showed grace to me. And so all of this stuff, and Galatians chapter 3 is kind of like our culture, right? No longer black or white, no longer gay or straight. We're all one. And all of that stuff is good. Equality is good. I need you to understand something. If you are for Jesus, you are for equality. Even for people that you may disagree with, you are still for equality. So Galatians chapter 3, our culture believes in, just not necessarily the Christ Jesus part. We're all one because we love each other. Because equality and social justice are what we need. And so again, what the devil does, it's not a complete, it's just a little bit off course. Because he knows all of those things are good. If you have a heart for justice, that's good. Because the heart that Jesus gave you. If you have a heart for equality, if you have a heart, that's all good things. So what the devil wants to do is give you the kingdom without the king. And what that looks like is this. You need to understand something especially when it comes to equality, justice, all that stuff. Without Jesus, it does not work. And so two things will inevitably happen if I seek the kingdom without the king. The first is disappointment. I will always be disappointed. Do you want to know why? It's because people will never be good enough. It's because I will push forth this, this vision of equality. I will push forth this vision of anti-racism, whatever it may be, yet other people won't follow along. And it's like, I don't know what's going on. Why are people so bad? Why are people so evil? Why can't we all just love each other? It'll be disappointment. And, and listen, if there's no God, you need some kind of higher power to justify these things and to put them into place. And, and for our culture, it's governments. And then we'll just always be disappointed in the government because the government will never be able to exact the, the justice and the equality that I want. And I just can't, I'm just so angry. That's the first thing that'll happen. You'll always be disappointed because equality, justice, all of these things hinge on Jesus. The second thing is this. The kingdom without the king will always lead to legalism. Now, what legalism is this? It's simply truth without grace. It's truth without grace. Grace comes from Jesus. And so what happens is this. If I find someone that does not match my level of morality, that maybe is wrong, that maybe has spoken down on others, there'll be no grace. And without grace comes legalism. And what legalism looks like in modern-day culture is what we call cancel culture. And what cancel culture says is that unless you match my standard of morality, 
unless you match my standard of justice, you are not enough. And without grace, you need to understand this, each and every one of us is in line to get canceled. Without grace, you will be canceled. The other thing is this, in, in a legalistic society, it's all about performance. And so what that means, is not enough to be a good person. I have to tell everyone how good I am. And like, it's one way to tell people I'm really good, but the best way to show how good I am is to actually crush other people. Because if I can show them how bad they are, that just puffs me up. And that's the very heart of legalism. And we see it in culture, and you see it in religion many times. But what the devil wants, is this making sense? You guys kind of see where I'm going? It's that innate desire. All of these things are good is what I'm trying to say. But what the devil wants to do is push you off course. And you're saying, well, he's going to like push for something good like truth and equality. Um, he will if he believes the end course is your destruction. He doesn't really care what it looks like on the way as long as he can seek, kill, and destroy. And so the devil always starts, what I'm saying, by attacking a good desire and just disordering it. The kingdom is good, but without the king, it falls apart. That's just one. Can I get a few more examples? I kind of want to get your brains going here. Um, another one, and I think this goes both ways, but I'm a man, so I can speak most confidently for men. Um, but I think that there's something innate in us um, where we have this desire to be a provider, whether it's like for ourselves um, or for families. I think there's just something in us, right? And I think women have it too, but I'm not going to speak for you guys. I'll speak for men. And so the need to provide is good. Like I hope you, I hope you provide for yourself. For people, otherwise you'll die. Um, it's a good desire and it's in us, but what the devil wants to do, again, push us off course. Just one degree. And so what does that look like? A couple things is overworking, right? Well, the reason I grind, 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 I never see anyone, I don't have time for church, family, friends, anything, is because I'm just trying to provide. It's a good thing to provide, right, pastor? Of course it is, but the devil wants to push you one degree. And he wants to disorder that good desire to throw you off. Listen, here's the thing. As people, can we provide for ourselves? Absolutely. But one of the things that happens when we begin to believe that we are the sole provider is that it becomes harder to worship God. Because God is the ultimate provider. And one of the reasons that our culture in Canada and North America has such a hard time worshiping Jesus as Lord is because we provide for ourselves. And so if I have every need met... If I've never missed a bill, if I've never missed a meal, it's hard to say God is provider, that he's Jehovah Jireh. Because I, I provide for myself. And I, just begin, I actually have this belief that one of the main reasons that so many of us have an inability to worship, whether it's raising our voices, raising our hands, standing up, whatever it is, is because we have a hard time acknowledging someone higher than me. Because one of the things that we do in worship, we give God praise, but we also give God honor. And we say, God, you are higher than I am. So I don't really care what I look like because you're the king. But we have this thing inside of us where it's like, well, I'm the king. I'm the queen. And it, 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 um, there's a word I'm looking for. I'm not going to find it. Stops. It's a synonym for stop if you guys go to Google later. Um, but by twisting our desires, um, it stops our ability 
and slows down our ability to worship Jesus as Lord just by pushing it off by a degree. Um, and really, it taps in this other desire that we have to be God. You go back to Satan, that's the very first thing he said. You can be God. You can be like God. So, another big one. I'm just giving you guys examples. Your brain's going places. What I want us to do is I want us to see in your lives how you, the devil attacks the good things but twists it. Another one is this. Every single one of us is built innately with compassion and love. That's, I believe that's human. That's humane. And it's good. Compassion and love are good, obviously. But again, if that's who we are as humans in God's image, what does the devil want to do? He wants to attack that good desire and disorder it. One of the things our culture says is this, and it is an absolute lie from the enemy. It's a lie that says, in order for me to be compassionate, in order for me to be loving, I must accept and tolerate everything and everyone. Now, you need to understand something. You can love people. You can even accept people. But that doesn't mean you have to affirm everything that they do. But what happens, again, the devil pushes that thing in our heart. And so we live in a culture that says this, and I believe it's a lie, that says, if I correct anyone, that was wrong. I shouldn't say anything. That's not loving. That's not compassionate. Now, let me tell you how nonsensical this is, and I'll give an illustration. Um, I, I was talking before. We have twin girls, almost two years old. Um, they're sweet, but they're also psychos. And... Um, <laughs> Like, as a parent, um, a part of your job is to literally make sure they don't kill each other, right? And so, to, like, I'll give you an example. Like, they, like, they like to push each other, right? Just, I don't know why they just sometimes push each other. And, like, there's sharp things in our house, and, like, my fear is, like, someone just... Anyways, um, no one would say, well, Harrison, if you really want to love them, just accept them. Just, just accept that for what it is. Just watch it as the most loving and compassionate thing that you can do. But you need to understand, if there is someone in your life that you love and you know they're heading towards destruction, love and compassion does not look like acceptance in many cases. If you have someone in your family that you love that struggles with, 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 with greed, that struggles with addiction, not to say, honey, you have fun at the casino. I love you. It's called enabling. But what does the devil do? He just twists that which is good. And for so many of us, it's like, well, if I, if I say something, does that mean I don't love them? But again, if someone's heading towards their destruction, what's the true loving thing to do? The devil just twists it. And I, I could give us examples all day, right? The desire for companionship, that's God-given. How does the devil twist that? Toxic relationships, pornography. I'd encourage you, I don't usually do this, but I preached a message um, in, in the winter called Our Deepest Desire. It's all about relationships and sexuality. So I'm not going to touch it here, but if you want to watch that, you can see how desires work. So it's February or something like that. Um, but it's that good desire, right? the devil twists, right? The desire for freedom, right? We're free in Christ. Twisted becomes rebellion. Literally, we could go on all day, right? Good things that the devil twists. So his third 
tactic is disordered desires. So what's the solution? We need to reorder our desires. If the devil wants to disorder them, what we need to do is we need to reorder them. Because the enemy inevitably wants to leave you naked and ashamed. But what God wants to do is God wants to restore and clothe. So they were naked. We saw that Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. It says the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and he said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11, God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? So listen, how do we reorder our desires? We need to go deeper. And one of the ways that we need to go deeper is we need to ask questions. The question that God is inevitably asking is this, who lied to you? What lie have you believed? And so as the band comes up here, because Sid was wondering, I want to ask a simple question this morning, church. Who lied to you? Who lied to you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that that thing would satisfy the desires of your heart? Who told you that you could have everything without Jesus? Who told you? You see, the only way that we can combat the lies of the enemy, the half-truths of the enemy, is reorder our lives. The only way we can understand our deepest desires is to reorder our lives, is to put Jesus at the center. The only way I can, can combat isolation, confusion, disordered desires is to literally rearrange my life and put Jesus at the center. Now listen, I'm finishing this message. I want to do it two weeks in a row. Um, but it's kind of finished. Come back next week and um, I'm going to really show us some practical disciplines that we can put into our life in order to put Jesus at the center. In order that we can rearrange our desires. But I do want to conclude this message and I'll finish with this. At the very end of the day, what the devil wants to do is he wants to lie to us and he wants to deceive us. And what Jesus wants to do is Jesus wants to release us with truth and with freedom. And so maybe you're saying to yourself, well, how do I know that Jesus is true? How do I know that everything he says for me is in my best interest? How do I know? What the devil does is he leaves them naked and ashamed. And he wants to leave you naked and ashamed. And so what Jesus did, I want us to understand this, is on the cross at Calvary, Jesus himself got naked and ashamed in order to show to us that we don't have to be anymore. He did that so you don't have to be anymore. And on the cross, what he was doing in the ultimate demonstration, he was saying, you can trust me. I love you. I want what's best for you. I want your deepest desires to be satisfied. Jesus took all the pain. Jesus took all the shame. Jesus took all the heartache so we don't have to. And so we can trust him that what he wants for us is what's best for us. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired
decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time.